Welcome to the When He Speaks podcast, where we talk to preachers about the tough questions. Here's your host, Austin Halpern. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the When He Speaks podcast. Today, I got back here with me, Brother Patrick Holcomb, a.k.a. my dad. <laughs> it's good to be back. I don't know if I, w- I would hold off on the good part, because today we're getting into those really, really tough questions that, that we've already sort of talked about a little bit, and you're like, uh, please don't ask me that. I don't want to be the first one to have to answer that, because, of course, last episode, or the last time we did some of these tough questions, Brother James, we didn't get to this one of these, some of these questions, so we depending on how you answer so so you might want to just draw your answers out today (laughs) to where we don't have to if you really don't want to get to them see that's where i struggle though i'm not as smart as brother james so i don't have all those intellectual sentences to put together to draw the time (laughs) out so i might get i might get suckered into this yeah so let's go ahead and get started here we'll start you off with the same one we started him off with on these tough questions sort of give you a little icebreaker i guess how do you know when it's God telling you to do something and not you just wanting to do it for yourself? So that's that is a tough question because we know all that goes on in the church. Uh, if you're looking at it from a preacher slash pastor standpoint. Uh, you typically know more about what's going on with each individual in your church and in your congregation than anybody else does. And so sometimes you you know the people's past or you know what they're wanting to do or what just happened the day before. And still being fleshly, you, you get to reading or you get to studying, you're like, oh, that goes right along with what they were doing. Uh had a Sunday school teacher recently. He He's struggling with that a little bit, and me and him's talked a little bit, and he doesn't want to do anything out of his own self and out of the fleshly side. He wants it to be the Lord, and I gave him a lot of – he earned a lot of respect with me, uh, earned a lot of uh, um, respect, I think, with – the Lord as well, if that's a thing, as far as the way the way I'll explain it is, he he was struggling with some things that had went on, and everything that he tried to study, or everything he was trying to read, was going along with that. And he come to me on a, on this past Friday afternoon and told me that uh, he just couldn't settle on what he needed to teach Sunday morning. That, that he just didn't know that he was going to be able to teach. And I told him that was fine that I would we would the Lord would take care of it, and the Lord did. He he even tried again Saturday to study, and he told me Sunday that he had still found himself going back to those same things. And uh, I wound up teaching the Sunday school class Sunday morning, and we had a great time, and uh, it went the way I think the Lord wanted it to go. But I had a lot of respect for him because of the fact that he knew everything that he was reading was correlating over to what happened that week and with some of the individuals that it happened with. And he didn't want anyone to think that he was trying to draw those things out to personally attack them or to 
try to drive his point home or to his thought process home. And so there is a fine line there. And sometimes uh, I struggle with the fact that I know some things that have gone on or is still going on, and the Lord will still lead me into, into the Scripture that allows me to preach on that particular subject. And uh, that's where it becomes hard as a pastor because you don't want people to think that you're personally attacking them. Uh, I would never personally attack someone. Uh, <laughs> the Lord personally attacks me every day. The last thing I want to do is personally attack someone in my congregation. Uh, and sometimes the Lord still allows that. Uh, and then there's times where you preach a certain sermon or a certain scripture and and it hits someone individually and they think that you were personally attacking them when you had the slightest idea of what was really going on in their life at that particular time uh it goes back to used to we uh brother james will be able to to uh, go along with this used to we were you know shotgun preachers or fire off the hip preachers uh you know i could i could study all week long and be sitting on the front pew and uh two minutes before it's my time to get up and preach uh, i open my bible and lord show me something else and that's where i'd have to go and that's what i'd have to preach on uh and it still happens occasionally but what i found it goes back to what we talked about in the last session was uh, the reading and the study, and sometimes you, you have a thought or you have a, a, a topic or a scripture that's laid on your heart, and you begin to read and study that, and you'll get off in those little rabbit holes or wormholes, and you'll study here and you'll study there, you'll read here and you'll read there, and then the Lord may give you a whole other thought that Sunday morning or that Sunday night, and you're like, well, Lord, I didn't study on that thought all week. I studied on this right here. And then you get up and you begin to preach that actual thought that the Lord just gave you. And everything that you studied that week ties right into that one thought. So the study, the scriptures were right. The study was right. But the thought that you had in your mind was wrong. Yeah. And it wasn't exactly what God wanted. So it's, uh, it, it's a fine line there of knowing how to listen. And, and some people... And I still struggle with that. I still struggle with, uh, oh, God, I'm getting into my past a little bit. Uh, still struggle with this. Brother James knows I talked to him and, and confided in him quite a bit uh, about this. Was uh, You know, you were there. You were a part of it. I, I believe I left the second church that I ever pastored uh, when I wasn't supposed to leave. Uh I've had to ask the Lord to forgive me of that. Uh, I was 27 years old when I took the church, 29 when we left. Uh, so they're roughly a year and a half, two years. and We had just went through one of the greatest revivals that I'd ever been in, been a part of. Uh, the Lord was moving. Uh, the church was just booming spiritual-wise. It was just... It was just overwhelming as far as to be as far as being a pastor of that church, uh, and then I had something happen with one of the, the individuals at the church had come and and made a statement to to me one Sunday. Uh, we'd had fellowship and we'd went to leave, and, and they said that they needed to talk to me for a minute. And they, the comment that they had made was one as a pastor and as a preacher, you you. You don't ever want made to you. 
it wasn't about me directly. It was more about the church, where the church stood. goes back to the man's traditions that we were talking about our, uh, before and uh, goes back to the church was built by man and by that family, and that family was there when I got there, and that family would be there when I was gone, and that it was that family's church. And, and I simply just apologized to him and told him I was sorry. I, I misunderstood. I thought it was God's church. Uh, and that following Sunday, I resigned as the pastor of that church. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought that was the Lord showing me, see, son, I told you they're not going to listen. That was immaturity. That was not only youthful immaturity, that was spiritual immaturity on my part. That was the Lord showing me how good it could be. The Lord had showed me how great the mountaintop was. The Lord had showed me how spiritual that church was. The Lord had showed me how good things could be if we stayed close and stayed connected to Him. And that was my trying moment. That was the Lord I feel now as uh, many years later and many prayers to the Lord asking Him to forgive me for for not listening to Him uh, the correct way. I believe that was the Lord fixing to test me and show me, okay, son, I've showed you what it's like on the mountaintop. Now here's the valley. How are you going to handle that? And I didn't handle it. Uh, I was Jonah when Jonah got on the boat. Mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm not going there. Not going to be a part of that. Dealt with that before, and I walked out the door and left, and I got swallowed up by the whale. Uh, the only difference is the Bible tells us about Jonah being swallowed up and being in the belly of the, the big fish for three days and three nights, and mine was several years. Uh, it caused me a lot of heartache and a lot of hardship, uh, a lot of misery, a lot of pain. caused my family the same thing uh, because I made the wrong decision. Now, do I equate the, everything that happened to me to that one decision? No. But it was like a domino effect. Uh, that one decision led to the next decision that led to the next that led to the next. And it took me a long time to understand that uh, I was doing what Patrick wanted to do and not what God wanted to do. And when I realized that, and uh, I began to open my eyes up and see things from a, from a, a greater understanding and, and kind of step back away from the situation, and looked at it from a different perspective, I saw that I'd made the wrong choice. And I had to get down on my knees and ask God to forgive me for that. And he has. Uh, Still doesn't make it uh, any easier to swallow some days when I go back and look at that. Uh, That would have been, that was one of those major growth moments in my life, and and I failed that test. but because of that, the last test that I just had to go through in a similar situation, I was willing and was able to stand strong and stand for the Lord. And it's called some hardships on my family as far as not spiritual hardships, just a few uh, burdens that we've had to deal with because people are mean. Uh, people are hateful. <laughs> And I've told my church time and time again, I said, I've been in church most of my life, and I've been hurt and been put down and ridiculed more by 
so-called church members than I ever have worldly people. Uh, so we've had to deal with a little bit of that recently, but the Lord's blessings that he has laid upon us with, with starting this work have far, far surpassed that. Uh, so we're not always going to follow the Lord correctly. Uh, and I think he understands that, and I think he knows that. Uh, and sometimes it's because we do get so wrapped up in, in our flesh and so wrapped up in the situation that we're in or the, the, the people's in that it kind of blinds us a little bit on the whole truth and being able to truly see what God's trying to show us and part of that just comes with with maturity and not just uh age maturity but spiritual maturity and that goes back to the last session we talked about as far as the studying and the praying and the daily walking with the lord that spiritual growth i I, i'm sure y'all have a mature church as well uh i've got people that's been that's in my church now that's probably been a a Christian longer than I've been alive. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily make them spiritually mature. Yeah. I've met people that have accepted the Lord one, two, three, four years that spiritually are more mature than I've seen people that have been children of God for 30 years. Because of the work that they put in, the effort that they put into reading and to studying. I've got a, a friend of mine, I would call him a friend. We don't talk on a, on a regular basis. But Brother Michael, uh, he's a preacher. He's a young preacher, uh, early 20s. And I tell people all the time, once he, once he, and he's getting better. The last couple of times I've heard him preach, he's so good. Uh he probably knows the scripture as well, if not better, than about any preacher I've ever sat down with, and he's 22, 23 years old. And he's growing on the relationship side. He has a, he has a hard time connecting with people. But when it comes to the Lord, he is, he's bought in. Uh, spiritual maturity, he has a ton of it. I would have just as much confidence, if not more so, going and asking him a question when it comes to the, to the Scripture as I had some men that are, that are double my age that's been in the ministry for twice as long as I have. Uh, how does that come? By reading, mm-hmm. by studying, by staying in the Word, by daily walking with the Lord continuously. And that goes back to how do we know that it's the Lord and not something that I just want to do. Well, if I'm close enough to the Lord, then I'm going to know if it's something he wants me to do or not. Yeah. Uh, Naomi got to that age yet where you can look her right in the eye and tell her not to do something. She looks you right in the eye and does it anyhow. Yes, she's, she does that all the time. All right. So the closer you get to her with that belt, the more out she is to mind you, correct? Mm-hmm. So if you're across the room and she knows she can get away with it and get to her room and shut the door before you can get to her, she'll do it. Yeah. But if you're standing right next to her with that belt and you tell her don't do it, what's she do? She don't do it. She don't do it. 
will you equate that over to our spiritual walk with the Lord? The closer we get to Him, the stronger that calling and that desire and that understanding of His will is more than ours. And with that comes the maturity of knowing that Okay, if I don't do this, this he's fixing to wear me out with that belt. Yeah, he's fixing to take me as the old saying behind the woodshed and and teach me a lesson. Uh, so we have to. I, I have a tendency to doing that a lot, uh, equating things over to my my daily walk, my my life here, and I can see that with my kids. Uh, I'm sure, you're the same way. Uh, Liz home with Emily and Henry. And Bobby all day, every day, and, and Emily's five, and Henry's four, and they're just five and four. They're wild, and they're crazy, and they're bouncing off the walls, and they don't listen to her for anything, and I can come home and tell them to do something, and boom, they do it. Tell them not to do something, boom, they don't do it. And it's not that they don't love her. They probably love her as bad as I don't want to, or bad as I you know, don't want to say it. They probably love her more than they do me. Uh, but that goes into she's with them all day. She is their mother. Kids kids tend to love their mother more than they do their dad. Uh, they carried them for nine months and provided for them and done all the things that, that we didn't want to do. Uh, but when it comes to discipline and when it comes to the hard truth of things, they know that daddy daddy's there to to correct things. Yeah, daddy loves me. But Daddy's going to whip me. Mama whips me, but Daddy whoops me. You know, that. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we need to get with the Lord. We need to get to the point where we could care less what other people think about us. Because there's, hard truth, there's going to be days where I get up behind the pulpit and the Lord's laid something on me that's going to specifically pinpoint a certain individual in the church. Am I always going to know that? No. Not always, but if it reaches out and it touches you and it convicts you and it burdens you and it bothers you, it becomes individual. It becomes personal to you. And you may take offense to that with me, but that doesn't mean that i done that intentionally. That was the Lord dealing with you. That was the Lord. And there's going to be days where we still have to do that. And we just have to be strong enough as preachers and as men of God to still be willing to preach the truth, mm-hmm. regardless of who it hurts, regardless of, uh, of who it affects, to just preach. I tell my church members all the time, and I'm sure these other preachers you're going to talk to will tell you the same thing. There's not a sermon. There's not a message. There's not a topic. There's not a scripture that I that I read that I get up to preach that it didn't hit me first. Everything that I read, everything that I study, I can get up behind the pulpit to preach this come tomorrow. I'll get up to preach. And I can promise you, whatever the Lord lays on me to preach in the morning is going to hit me long before it ever hits my church members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I was, I didn't know if you were going to say that or not, but Brother James, he says the same thing. He says, if you feel like that was directed at you, it most likely was then. Does that mean I know about it? No, but I promise you. I had to deal with it long before you did when I was in there studying it and writing it down, being like, God, I know this is going to hurt somebody, but it's hurting me right now. Yes. I, I, I vouch for that 100%. It's, uh, we, 
we tend to do it. Uh, I have a lot of lot of respect for Brother James. Uh, look at him as as one of my mentors when it comes to to pastors. I don't have many that I can reach out to that that I can confide in and ask questions. And he's one of them that's always been willing to answer my phone call and uh, talk to me. But we tend to put people up, and it's and it's not just preachers. We do that with with several different people in the church. We do it with Sunday school teachers. We do it with deacons. We do it with piano players. We do it with special singers. We form cliques and we put people up on individual pedestals all the time, and we shouldn't do that because when we put people up on a pedestal, it's a lot further for them to fall when they fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's if we could get to the point where we understood that everybody is imperfect, including the preacher, including the Sunday school teacher, including the deacons, including the singers and the piano players and the musicians, we're all imperfect. Mm-hmm. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes. And if we would learn to to keep people all on the same level, then it wouldn't hurt us as bad when they fail. Yeah. We would be willing to pick them up a lot quicker. Yeah, uh, but we put people up on a pedestal, and when they fall, we feel like it's the end of the world. And we, instead of go and picking them up, we want to push them down even, even further. And that's where we fail as far as Christians. Uh, that's one of the things that I have to work on daily is understanding that. Yes, I'm a I'm a preacher. Yes, I'm a man of God. Yes, I'm a pastor. But yeah, I'm going to fail him. Do I do it intentionally? No, I don't, but I'm still going to fail him. Uh, when I come in here tomorrow morning, I'm the pastor of this church. Does that mean that I'm greater than anybody else sitting in here? No. Uh, does it mean anybody else in here is greater than me? No, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. And if we're children of God, when the Lord looks upon us, all he sees is the blood. That's right. He doesn't see <laughs> had a hard lesson a couple I don't know a couple months ago God kind of opened my eyes up and and I had to realize still to this day that <laughs> we don't understand that God can't look upon us because we're of a sinful nature we're wicked and we're defiled and we're as filthy rags the only reason the Lord that God's able to look upon us is because of the blood. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see Patrick. He sees the blood. He doesn't see Austin. He sees what makes Austin worthy. Mm-hmm. And that's the blood. That's the only thing that gives us any grounds to be able to stand before God one day and bow down at his feet. Not how many times I've done good for him. Not how many times i failed him. Not how many times I asked for forgiveness. The only thing that gives me or you or anyone else the ability, the ability to part heaven's gates one day and to bow down before him is the blood that is applied upon our lives. That's yeah. it. That's right. Now, going back to your, your, the whole pedestal thing, you know, you saying don't put people up on pedestals. That's the same if the person themselves puts themselves up on that pedestal. Oh, yeah. You still have to go pick them back up and let them know God loves them. Because I heard this, the, there was a saying, 
the ground is level at Calvary. Right. It don't matter where, how high and mighty you think you are at Calvary, the ground's level. And then I also I saw this illustration that goes right along with that. It was if you could take just the simple building blocks, you know, the little square building blocks for toddlers. It's the easiest illustration you can do. Stack one of them seven blocks high. Stack this other one up four blocks high on this side, and this one over here three blocks, and then two blocks on this side, and then put one that's just one single block. I'll put them side by side. Now, if you take a light and shine it straight down on the top of it where there's no shadows to determine which one it is, and you look directly down on top of all them, all you see is that one block shape. They all look exactly the same across there. So when God looks down on us, he sees the same people at all the same level. He don't see any shadows to show, oh, this man has this much accomplished or something. Oh, this man, he just, he's done the bare minimum. He sees his own. That's true. And it's just, it's one of those things that's, don't get me wrong, you have to put in the work. Don't take that as you don't have to do the work for it. He still wants you to do his bidding and do what he's called you to do, but don't put yourself on the pedestal for it. It's funny you say that. I'd never thought about it this way until you you just said that our job is to to be the light of this world and to spread the gospel and to draw as many people as we can to the Lord that that they might receive him just like we did and you take that same block illustration and the the shots the light shining directly down on it and there's no shadow uh the work part of it comes with how many other blocks are in your line mm-hmm not how many other blocks are on, under you that set you up on a pedestal and make you feel good, but how many other blocks are connected to you that keep going in a line that all come because you were willing to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. That that's the growth in the Lord that we should we should have. Yeah, uh, safe to say that. I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I've got a lot of blocks that probably aren't there that could have been there if I'd have followed the Lord. Yeah. Uh, more earnestly um, and not followed what Patrick wanted to do. Uh, it's some days listening to the Lord, it's it's like a trumpet blowing in your ear. You know that you know that you know that you know uh, that you're doing exactly what the Lord wants you to do. And in other days, it's very soft. It's very subtle. And you're not not 100% sure, but there's just that sweet peace that comes over you that you know, and you have that comfort knowing that, okay, Lord, this is this is right. Uh, no different than I even preached a little bit on this last Sunday in Jude. The book of Jude, you look at the last several verses there in the book of Jude, and it's, it's some that I, I really enjoy because it talks about how some you save with compassion, and some you save with fear. Um, and it took me a long time to understand that. And then it, uh, I understood that we are all individuals. Some people uh, don't like the hellfire and brimstone. Uh, some people you can't go in and preach hell and all its fury uh, and, and it connect with them. Some people you have to preach the love and the mercy and the grace yeah. 
that God had for them to show them how unworthy they are to receive that, and yet the Lord still loved them. Uh, and then some people like me, I was a 14-year-old child at uh, Pathway Baptist Church, your, your uh, people uh, was the one they were putting on a judgment scene, uh, December the 4th, 1994, uh, putting on a judgment scene, a uh, Christmas play. My oldest brother, Ricky, and his wife was going to church there, and they invited us to come and on a Saturday night. And they'd walk down the aisle one at a time talking about their life or singing, doing whatever they needed to do. They would get up to what was supposed to be like the gates of heaven and supposedly God up there with the book of life. And uh, that was your people portraying that. And he would open up the book and he would flip through and he would see if your name was in the book of life or not. And if it was, then the angels would come down out of the choir and they would put a robe on you and you would go up and you'd start singing in the choir. If it wasn't, then the little demons would come out of a little side room and they'd drag you off over there to where there was, when they opened the door, it was screaming and smoke coming out and all that stuff. And they'd drag you off there. Well, my sister-in-law, Karen, uh, first of all, my brother had come down singing. Ricky, he was singing at the time, I think, with the Interstate Quartet. And he'd come down the aisle singing and uh, got up there and his name was found and he got up and got to go up into the, what was portraying heaven and began to start singing a new song. And three or four people later, Karen came down the aisle and she was carrying a newborn baby. It wasn't hers, and they had just had a miscarriage not long before. And she was carrying this newborn baby, and she got down to the aisle or to the altar. And I'd known this woman my whole life. I was 14, I'd known her my whole life, and I knew she was a good woman. And She's standing there before this man supposed to be God up there, and he's flipping through this Bible or through the book of life, and he doesn't find her name. And I can remember watching my brother and the angels have to come out of the choir and try to pry that baby out of her arms and watching the so-called demons come out of the little room and have to physically pick her up with her screaming and kicking and fighting with every ounce of her being to drag her off into what was portrayed to be hell. And at 14 years old that night, hell became real to me. There was not an ounce of my being that you could have convinced me that night that it wasn't real to her in that very moment. And it became real to me, and God began to open up the floor below my feet and begin to show me hell and all its fury and, and all the, the darkness and the, and the flames and the wailing and the gnashing of the teeth and showed me that that's where I was going to go if I didn't accept Him. And I can remember taking that first step and I believe in that very instance, my faith saved me when I took that first step. I don't remember what all I said when I knelt down at the altar, but I remember getting up, and there was people all around me, and I was the overwhelming joy and the, the weight that had come off my shoulders even as a 14-year-old child. The Lord saved me with fear that night. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't accept him because I wanted to go to heaven that night. I accepted him because I didn't want to go to hell. And then I received the ultimate blessings and all the other, uh, you know, uh, things that go along with it was the fact that heaven was going to be my eternal home and that Jesus did die specifically for my sins, just like he did everyone mm-hmm. else's. And uh, so that's why I love that that scripture so much when it when it talks about some you save with compassion and some you save with fear uh, because we all are individuals and it takes it takes different things for different people um, so that's why it is so so important for the men of God to to truly listen and try their best to follow the Lord because we never know uh, come tomorrow morning we may have someone here in my in the congregation at our church that's lost and undone without the Lord. And if I don't follow the Lord and, and do exactly what the Lord wants, that person may leave tomorrow morning just like they came in. Mm-hmm. And that'll be my fault. And it'll be something that I have to answer for. So that's why it's important is to where we don't lead someone astray and that blood be be accounted be upon our hands. Right. <clears throat> yeah, that's... It's, it's a it's a very fine line that you have to pay attention to when you're trying to make sure that it's what you're supposed to be doing and not just something you want to be doing. Right. It's it's I've struggled with that. That's why on this podcast I took so long to actually start it up. I wanted to make sure that it was what I was supposed to be doing and not just something that I wanted to do. Yes. But uh, I know we talked a little bit last last episode about. Uh, witnessing and telling others your testimony and stuff. But uh, how do you go about telling people about God without coming off as a know-it-all and somebody who's just trying to push their religion? For me, that's fairly easy because if anybody that that does know me knows that I don't know anything. So (laughs) it's hard for me to come across as a know-it-all my biggest thing is I don't push anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm who I am at church, just like I am at a ball field or at a, or at a basketball game or at the store. Uh, most people we've got we've got some people that have come to our church. We've got some people that I've become friends with. Uh, and have gotten to know a little bit better. And we very seldom ever talk about the Bible. We very seldom ever talk about church as a as a whole as far as the church. Uh, but I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Brother James is the same way. He's been a, a minister and a pastor for a long time. Most people know who he is. Most people know that Brother James is a pastor of Mug Creek Baptist Church. Most people know that he's been a minister for as long as I have, so what, 20 years, 22 years, 23 mm-hmm. years? Most people know that. They don't need me going out there and telling them, well, hey, I'm the pastor of so-and-so church down here. Well, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do that. Hey, the Bible says this or the Bible says that. What they need is me living the life that I'm preaching here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, mm-hmm. and Wednesday night. 
in front of them. If I can befriend them, if I can go up to them and talk to them like they're an individual, regardless if they're the worst drunk in the county, if they were the worst drug addict in the county, whatever it is, if I still go up and talk to them like they're an individual and treat them with the same respect and love and compassion that I would one of my own church members, that's what spreading the gospel is. It's spreading the love of Christ. He went to the worst of the worst and loved them. That's yeah. what he done to them. Yeah, because, I mean, in all reality, those are the ones who need it the most. Exactly. So I was at a ball game last year, a baseball game, and had a gentleman that I was talking to. He had come to church with us for a little while, and uh, him and his family, and walked up to him, and I didn't say anything about church. And uh, finally he made a comment that another preacher had – run into him the day before and had talked to him, asked him when he was coming back to church and told him that he knew that him and his family needed to be in church and needed to get back right with the Lord. And And I said, well, I said, uh, you know, some people are like that. And, and he stopped me and he said, how come you never invite me to church? And I said, well, I said, I can answer that. And he said, no, I know why. He said, and... I have a lot of respect for you because you don't. And I said, well, yeah, you're you're right. I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, but I don't do it for that. I said, I do it for the simple reason. I said, "Do you go? To, are you going to church right now? And he said, no. I said, do you need me to tell you that you ain't going to church right now? He said, no. I said, do you need me to tell you that you need to be going to church right now with your family? No. I said, then what good does it t- does it for me to tell you that? That's exactly right. You already know. And so I used another gentleman down sitting below below us on another bleacher, and I said, you take that gentleman right there. I didn't know the gentleman. I was just using him as an example. And I said, you take that gentleman right there. I said, say he was a member of my church, and he'd went to church there for years, and then all of a sudden something happened, and he'd not come for about six months. We're out in this public gathering at a ball field. He's sitting there with four or five of his friends talking. I said, if I was to walk down there and I was to tell him and just reach out and shake his hand, I say, "Hey, brother, it's nice to see you. Where you been? I ain't been seeing you to church. You need to come back to church. Be good to have you back. You've been been out about six months. You know you need to get back with the Lord." I said, "That's going to do two things. First of all, it's going to embarrass him mm-hmm. because he's around some of his other friends." I said, "Second of all, it's going to cause resentment between him and me." I said, but if I go down there and I just shake his hand and say, hey, brother, good to see you, and I sit down there and I just talk to him in the same manner that I've always talked to him, he knows that I'm the pastor of the church he was going to. He knows that he's not been going, and yet I'm still loving him. I'm still showing him compassion, and I'm not beating him over the head with a two-before. Yeah, That will convict him. In my mind, I may be wrong and people may disagree with me, but that'll convict him and the Lord will use that more for to to draw him back to him, I think, more so than me going down there and trying to, to, to preach every scripture that I can quote to him in front of all the people sitting there with him. Uh, it's the compassion and the way that we go about talking to people. Uh, Christ could have very well... Uh, condemned a lot of the people that he he preached to but he didn't 
he told them that they were wrong, but he done it in a loving manner. And he done it in a way that not only did they know that he loved them, they received him when it was over with. You take the the woman that was caught in adultery and the the Pharisees and the scribes that brought him up to him, she was caught in the very act. Caught red handed, caught with her hand her hand in the cookie jar, uh was brought before Christ and he stoops down and begins to write and then he they keep on and he stoops down again and then he tells them and calls them out on it, says, You without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says from the eldest to the youngest dropped their stones and walked away. Mm-hmm. But he didn't stop there. He even told the woman what she had done, asked her where her accusers was, and she said, there are none. And he said, neither do I go and sin no more. He didn't have to call every sin that she had ever done out. Mm -mm. He didn't have to blast her. If you'll read that scripture, the Bible says that there was a multitude around when this happened. So this woman was already embarrassed. This woman was already ashamed. This woman already was looking in the eye of the people that she lived around on a daily basis. Christ didn't have to call her sins out to her or anyone else. Yeah. He just simply told her, neither do I go and sin no more. That's right. We don't have to call people sin out. I don't have to go up to you. I I don't need anyone coming and telling me, well, you know, Patrick, you done this. Yeah. I know that. If I'm truly a child of God, I know that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need you coming and telling me. I need you praying for me. I need you calling out to God on my behalf, saying, asking the Lord to touch me and to help me understand where I failed and to get right back in a yeah. relationship with Him. Uh, so, yeah, I look at that a little bit differently than some people do. I, I, I'm not hard on people. I love people. I've had enough people be hard on me uh, over the years for mistakes that I've made and things that I've failed on. on. Uh, ultimately, I I have no desire to, to push someone down. Uh, I just want to lift people up. I want to be the Ethiopian that went and got the old rugged rags let let him down in the dungeon and told him to put him under his arms and I want to be the Ethiopian pulling people up out of the miry out of the miry clay for the Lord I don't want to be the one casting them off in the pit mm-hmm. yeah there's <clears throat> it seems like more often than not that we as humans we tend to not help or cast down whenever we should be lending that hand. I mean, it goes back to the the story of the man on the path where all the Pharisees and Sadducees, all you know, all the people who were supposed to be so godly and knew everything about the Bible, passed him up, turned their head, walked, moved to the other side of the road to where they wouldn't be near him. Man was literally dying, and they would just pass him up. When all... All he needed was somebody to stop and make sure he was okay. Yeah. You you ain't got to the, – the, the, the people who finally stopped, 
They just carry him on to the town to get him the help. You ain't got to be the doctor that saves his life right there. Just like now, you being a witness, you don't have to be the one that gets them saved. But they're spiritually dying. You just have to be that light to guide them. Pick them up and show them where you got your salvation. Exactly. Carry them to the true doctor that can mend their spiritual life. That's exactly right. Just like the one, the, the, the lame man that was let down through the roof by his friends. Mm-hmm. They didn't heal him, but they got him to the healer. Yeah. Uh, it took some of them to tear the roof apart. It took some of them to let him down. It took some of them to get him up on the roof. Uh, we all play a part. Uh, and it's just a matter if we're willing to be that part. But what happens so many times is we're very jealous people. We're very prideful people. And we'll get in a church congregation and the Lord will start using someone else and and we'll be like, well, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this over here. I want to do that, what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I don't want to do. I don't want to sing in the choir. I want to teach a Sunday school class. Well, I don't want to do this job. I want to do that job instead of Lord, wherever you want me. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And you know, just like if you condemning people for not like you were saying not being in church. Or falling away, not showing up to church, you know, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. God never told us to condemn them because if he did, what would have ever happened to Peter? Those times that he walked away. He was one of God's 12 disciples and he walked away. He denied Christ. Mm -hmm. But guess who became one of the one of the best preachers and teachers that was ever talked about throughout the Bible? That's right. Because God never gave up on him. Right. They knew he they knew he had more to do. And when he finally came back to and uh confessed all his wrongdoings to Christ, God let his mercy show and he began preaching and teaching and became one of the best preachers and teachers that you can read about in the Bible. All because of God's mercy and compassion. Exactly. I think if God can forgive one of his true disciples that turned away and denied him, I think he can forgive you for the th- the little things that you've done. Yeah, and, and that's just it. We we still have a tendency to, to name, to not name sin, but to rank sin. One sin greater than the next sin, greater than the next sin. This one's worse than that one. This one's not as bad as that one. In God's eyes, sin, sin. Uh, and no sin is right. And all sin will send you to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible tells us for the wages of sin is death. Death. But the gift of God, it's a gift that we have to be willing to accept. We have to be willing to open it. We have to be willing to receive it. The gifts, uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. It's that time of year where, you know, we set aside the time of Christ's birth uh, as far as Christmas time. And uh, I'm sure y'all are just like us. Our kids are still have gifts under the tree that we give them and stuff like that. Uh, you equate that over to what we're just talking about. Those gifts can sit under that tree from now until next year. 
those tree, those gifts could sit under that tree for ten years. Still a gift. Mm-hmm. It still costs as much ten years from now as it did when I bought it. But until you're willing to come and pick it up and open it up and to receive it and to use it, mm-hmm. it's absolutely useless to you. Yeah, you have to accept that gift. Yes, and so. Ultimately, God gave us his son in a little manger wrapped in swaddling clothes that eventually grew up to live a perfect life and to hang on a cross and shed his precious blood for our sins to give us a a gift that is priceless. We can never repay him for it. The gift's eternal. The gift is the same today as it was yesterday, and the same it's going to be another 2,000 years from now if the Lord tarries is coming. That gift's still the same gift. It still calls Christ his life. And it's just a matter if we're willing to accept it. That's right. It's a matter if we're willing to open up, let him come in, and then to turn around and to use that for his honor and his glory. Yeah. We can talk about it all day long. We can talk about I mean, I, I know a lot of ungodly people in this world. I know a lot of people that, that don't go to church, that have, to my knowledge, have never professed to be a child of God, that know about God. They know about Jesus. They know that he shed his blood on the cross for their sins. They know what's there. They they know it's available, but they've never accepted it. Yeah, but you know, calling them out, that don't do anything. Calling them out on their stuff does not help with anything. It, it If anything, it makes them want to just turn away from you because you're calling them out. You're pointing that finger saying, ha-ha, look at what you've done. Well, I've heard that saying. You point one finger out, three more is pointed right back exactly. at you from your same hand. Exactly. Because you've got sin just the same way they're, they do. The only difference is yours is covered by the blood, and you've asked for forgiveness for your sin. That's right. And we've, com- we've complicated church and Christianity to the point where most people don't want it because of what, what we've turned it into. And all we are is you go back 2,000, a little over 2,000 years ago, and you, you find – the Pharisees and the Sadducees that have that contaminated the the temple and made it what they wanted and started condemning everybody and anybody that didn't do exactly what they said or done, and then some two thousand years later you look at the modern day church as we know it, and most of us have turned it in to the temple of old days and we've become the very Pharisees and the Sadducees that that we read about in the scriptures. Not all churches. Uh, there's still some truly godly churches out there. But the church is, as a whole, worldwide, and especially this nation, uh, we've turned it into some some ungodly, man-made tradition that we think we know better than thou. And it's cost us a lot of people. It's cost us a lot of lives. And those are things that we're going to have to answer for one day. Yeah. For sure. Now, we're running close to our hour mark, so I've got a little just a tidbit of information since it's, you know, around Christmas time. Something that I've 
done a little bit of studying into and listening to other preachers and stuff talking about. And, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, well, all the way up till before Christ, when they would make those yearly sacrifices, it was a spotless lamb. Right. That was the, it was supposed to be a perfect lamb that they would sacrifice every year for our sins for that full year. Well, you know, we, everybody's heard the story, the birth of Christ. He was born in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know what they did to those spotless lambs? Whenever they first found out that they were spotless, no marks, no blemishes, no nothing. They'd wrap them in swaddling clothes. They'd wrap them in swaddling clothes. You know where they was born at? In a manger. In a manger. And they were cared for and taken care of up all the way up until they had to be the sacrifice for our sins for that year. Yeah. So if you look at it, Jesus, born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes because he was without spot or blemish, never sinned. And then he laid down his life as a sacrifice for all of our sins. Right. I just love the parallels, just how the word proves itself again and again. You can compare the Old Testament to the New Testament, and time after time, you will find where they make each other true. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's so important to... to you, you have a lot of churches nowadays that, that don't want to preach the Old Testament, don't want to read and study the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament is, is as much the gospel as the New Testament is. It, it just reiterates the truth of the New Testament. It it gives you the history behind it. It gives you the 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 connection behind it. Uh, gives you the timeline to be able to look over thousands of years and see how it all works and yet it still ties in perfectly exactly as God had planned it. Uh without the old testament uh when Christ came on the scene, the very people wouldn't have knew who Christ was. Yeah. Uh, without that history to to back it up, without the book of Isaiah, and the Ethiopian in the New Testament reading it, and Peter carried to him and uh, and asked him if he understood what thou read, and he said, "How can I accept someone teach me?" Mm-hmm. And Peter began to preach to him the same gospel out of Isaiah, but he preached to him Christ. And that's the importance of it. You can, you can find, and it's not just the scripture. You can find God, and you can find Christ in everything. Yeah, everything. Uh, it just blows my mind how people are so oblivious to to what's around them, and and even nature in itself, and how nature can conducts itself, and and takes care of itself and how we can walk outside on a daily basis or we can look down at your, there's not a doubt in my mind. I mean, you look at Naomi and Hudson and and you see pure perfection right now. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. No. There's, there's only one person that I know or one being that I know of that can create that and form that, and that's God. And we just we don't give him enough credit. We don't give him enough respect. We we definitely don't have enough awe and reverence of him anymore. Uh, 
to when we get out of the bed of a morning and we just go about our, our normal daily routine and without even acknowledging God, without even giving Him the the glory and the praise that He deserves for, for first of all, giving <clears throat> giving us another day to, to be with our families, but secondly, giving us another day to praise Him and to worship Him in. Uh, it just it blows my mind, and part of that, like I like I said, it a lot of that does come. The old saying, you know, the older you get, the wiser you get. Uh, the older I get, the the wiser I do get in some of those things. And you hear the old timers when you were a kid talking to you about certain things like that, and then as time goes on, you begin to understand exactly what they were talking about, and. You reminisce on those times and wish you could go back years ago and understand that, and that's just not how God intended it. Yeah, uh, it's just a matter of when your eyes are open, what do you do with it? Uh, do you use it from that point on, or do you just contain it and put it on a shelf? Yeah, so. most definitely. Uh, yeah, I going back to all this, the Old Testament, <clears throat> comparing it with the New Testament and stuff. I've actually had that big question to me because I I mean I play a lot of video games so I get to talking with people online and it's amazing how far you can reach with that stuff now but this is like it this is a buddy of a buddy that's asked me this like he actively doesn't go to church and he knew within the first 5 10 minutes of us playing that I was different just because of the way I carried myself on the game. And so he got to asking questions. He said, how or why should we, why is the Old Testament even there? And I said, well, there's a lot of reasons that it's there. I mean, it is the history of everything. But if you do nothing else but look at how you had to live to be able to be considered able to make it to heaven, if you was to be judged by the way of the law, how tough it would have been. And you can compare that and see that nowadays nobody would have made it. Right. Nobody would have made it living by the law. But that's when the New Testament comes in, and then you start to see where Christ made a path for you where you didn't have to try to survive by the law, which... I like bacon too much. There's no way I could <laughs> live by the law. Bacon is too good. I could not do that. Right. That would, if I could do every other one, I would fail because of that one alone. Right, <laughs> and, and and that's just it. Uh, you have the, the law, and then you have grace, uh, and they tie hand in hand. Now, that goes back to what we talked about in the last episode, faith without works is dead. Uh. Once you receive Christ, you're going to want to work. You're going to want to follow his commandments. If you don't, then I would probably question whether or not you truly receive the Lord. Uh, but the Old Testament is so relevant. If you had nothing but the Old Testament, uh, if that's all you had to read, read it. Mm-hmm. Because you can find Christ in it. You can find God all all through it. Yeah. You can find even the love and the mercy and the grace and the judgment and the wrath that he has, just like you can in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of people don't understand, we didn't have the Bible as we know it until a thousand years or so after Christ 
gave his life on the cross. All they had was scrolls or parchment or few scriptures here, one book here that traveled with different people that was passed from, from one city to the next city. They didn't have a compiled of what we would call a library. That's really what the Bible is. It's really mm-hmm. just a library of books that are put together for us to be able to read. They didn't have that. No. And yet they still love the Lord. And yet they still follow God. And here we have, we have all these books compiled in one that we're able to read, and we still can't love the Lord like we're supposed to. We still can't follow Him like we're, we're supposed to. We still don't praise Him like, and worship Him like we're supposed to. And these people didn't, did it with just one sheet of parchment with some scriptures on it that they held dear to their heart. Uh, you don't need that's, You don't need the whole Bible to find the Lord. Yeah, I mean, we've done a study. Well, Brother James has done a study with us on when, on some of our Wednesday night stuff. He did a study, Jesus on every page, and where he went through the whole book of John, preaching about Jesus on every page. Yes. And sometimes he would have to spend three or four messages on the same page because he was finding Jesus in every few verses. Right. And it was to the point where he was able to preach the message of Jesus from two or three verses off that one page. Right. And and that's just it. So now this may come out wrong as well, but I don't mean it that way. Uh, the word is, the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yeah. And that word was Christ. Well, then once we accept our Lord and Savior, he becomes indwelling in us. So we truly have the Word in us. They didn't have the Scripture as we know it back then, but yet they still had the Word with them. Mm-hmm. They were still able to spread the love and the, and the truth of Christ. Uh, I were to be able to go out here to a ball game or to a store and begin to talk to someone without having my Bible and without being able to quote 500 verses of Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, and them still be able to feel the love of Christ them still be able to understand that I am one of Christ's children, for them to be able to understand that they can very well receive the same thing that I have, that is what it's all about. And then eventually getting to a point where we're able to open that word up to them and then be able to study that. Yeah. Uh, so it's no different than church. We, we, put too, we, we put so much into church as the building when church is ultimately the people in the building. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, I feel like that's going to wrap up this today's episode. Uh, thank you again for doing the podcast with me. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I've I've enjoyed it. I know I probably rambled a lot, but I've truly enjoyed this. So. Until next time, I'm your host, Austin Hawkham. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the When He Speaks podcast. If you want to hear your question get answered, hit us up on Facebook or send us an email at when.he.speaks.podcast at gmail.com.